0: Welcome to the Ag Queen podcast. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Today, my featured guest is Dave Carlin, Senior Vice President of Economic Affairs and Economic Policy with the International Dairy Foods Association. Dave, thanks for joining me today.
1: My pleasure, Lori. Happy to be with you.
0: Before we start on some of the topics that we're going to be talking about, things that you work on with your organization, could you tell me just a little bit more about yourself and about the organization in general?
1: Absolutely. Uh, IDFA represents the companies and and organizations that make all uh, all the dairy products uh, that we all enjoy, whether it's milk, ice cream, cheese, yogurt, ingredients. uh, We probably represent 90% of the American manufacturing base for the dairy industry. Um, I came to IDFA about seven years ago. I had been in uh, private practice uh, as a lobbyist in in Washington for almost uh, 30-plus years, Spent some time at USDA uh, during the Clinton administration, uh, where I was assistant secretary for congressional relations, which meant I was sort of the department's chief lobbyist for a number of years. So uh, I grew up on a dairy farm, uh, coincidentally, and now I find myself back in the dairy industry. So that's that's pretty much my story.
0: Couldn't get away from it.
1: (laughs) Couldn't get away from it.
0: And IDFA is based in Washington, D.C. I know I asked you that before I went on the air. That's where I'm talking to you from. But that is where your headquarters is at as well?
1: That is true. We have about 25 uh, people in our office and provide a lot of regulatory and advocacy services to the industry, uh, as well as networking opportunities for our members.
0: Okay. And do you happen to have, and if you don't have this, that's fine, about how many members you have in your organization?
1: Absolutely. We have about 225 processor members and then another 300 or so uh, businesses that uh, supply the industry that are also gold or or regular business partners of, of IDFA's.
0: Okay. Thank you for the background and a little rundown. That's certainly helpful to, as we talk about the issues that you're working on. And uh, one of them, and you mentioned you're an advocacy organization, one of the big issues for IDFA is child nutrition reauthorization. So can we get into that now?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, I learned uh, over the course of my time at IDFA that uh, the school meals program actually serves more children per day than McDonald's does. So it is a, an incredibly important part of uh, the nutritional sort of uh, makeup of, of what kids are able to to eat. And so, and dairy, of course, has been a, a historically and continues to be a big part of that program, and we want to make sure that continues going forward. Um we have a couple of issues that we're working on that are priority issues for us. One has to do with uh, the kind of fluid milk that schools can serve. And, and that's kind of been all over the place in the last 10 years. Uh, It used to be that you could have whole milk and 2% milk in schools and, and chocolate milk as part of that. And then in 2012, that was all changed and we went to fat free flavored milk being the limit on the flavored side. And kids just, Kids didn't like the taste of that product. They, they just stopped drinking it. And we saw a significant decline in milk consumption in schools as a result. Well, in 2017, uh, the administration changed their rules uh, under the last administration and allowed at least 1% flavored milk. So a little bit of that fat content in the milk that makes the mouthfeel and the taste of the milk so much more uh, alluring to, to most kids. And so, of course, milk consumption went back up. But unfortunately, in April of 2020, a federal district court threw out the rule that made that change possible, and now we're playing catch-up again at USDA, trying to get back to where we were uh, just over a year ago and put 1% flavored milk back in schools. Uh, USDA is working with us in that regard. They're, They're trying to come up with a rule that would hopefully correct that, but right now we have to go through a waiver process. Uh, which is pretty cumbersome for schools to have to do in this kind of COVID environment. They've got a lot on their plates trying to reopen. a you know, big full time in the fall. The last thing they need to have to do is to you know jump through a bunch of hoops just to serve one percent flavored milk again. So we're trying to change that again in child nutrition reauthorization. If the department can't get the rule out, we'd like the Congress to help them uh, by telling them, basically, that they need to at least serve 1% flavored milk. And the reason I should emphasize that we can only go as high as 1%, why can't we go to 2%, why can't we serve whole milk in schools? The reason we can't do that is because the the school meals program is tied to the dietary guidelines for Americans. And that's the rulemaking that comes out every five years that USDA participates in. It's a very scientifically-based determination and while we advocated for higher dairy fat levels to be part of that program, that, part of that rulemaking, we weren't successful. And the limit is 1%. So that's why we can only go to 1% flavored milk in the school meals program.
0: You know, listening to you when I was a kid, sitting there drinking my carton of milk in school, I never would have thought about all this. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, we hope kids don't have to think about it. We want to make it as easy right. as possible for them to grab a carton of milk and drink it and enjoy the mm-hmm. experience.
0: Well, the questions that I was that were coming up to me while you were speaking, you answered them all. So I thank you for that. And unless there's anything on, else on that, we'll talk about the dairy donation program next.
1: Happy, happy to do that. Uh, that's an interesting program. We started that in 2017. And, and um, you know, we, what we learned... What we were seeing, I guess, on Capitol Hill when we go to see members of Congress and senators was, you know, we needed a a one-page piece of paper that explained the economic impact of the dairy processing industry, so that they had a sense of not only the numbers nationwide, but also in their states or their congressional districts. They understood how important. Uh, our industry is in terms of economic contributions to the the communities that they represent. So we engaged an outside firm to kind of put those numbers together in 2017, and we've updated them every two years ever since. And so just a couple of weeks ago, the the next iteration of dairy delivers came out, and it shows a lot of things. It shows that we as an industry actually make a 3.5 percent impact on the United States gross domestic product, 3.5% of the GDP is tied to our industry in some way or another. We are responsible for 3.3 million total jobs nationwide. That includes not only, of course, the people working our plants, the truck drivers that serve them, the retail and wholesale folks who put dairy products in the dairy case in the grocery store? But obviously, also the farmers and the other suppliers who bring us uh, the products we need to to, to put all of these products in front of the American consumer. So, um, 3.3 million total jobs, uh, and and we also talked for the first time in this uh, version of the dairy delivers about exports. Uh, exports are so important to our industry, and they're only they're only getting more important. We have sent about 15 percent of our milk overseas uh, now. And that, like I said, that number is going to get higher. And so what, that totaled up about to about $6.5 billion worth of exports in 2020, according to USDA. So what we're doing also now is adding that number to each of our state charts. We, I would invite anybody who's listening who wants to see this tool, and, and, and it's a, it's an interactive tool. You can use it for free. It's on our website. Um, Look under uh, uh, our idfa.org and our programs tab, and you'll see dairy delivers. And you can you can go all the way down to your congressional district and see exactly what the dairy processing industry means for you locally. So whether you're talking to policymakers when they're back home, or whether you are just sharing uh, your 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 story with uh, others in in your community about the industry, this is a tool that you might want to think about using. give some numbers, put some numbers behind what you're saying.
0: Dave, some of the other sectors of ag have had some issues with being backlogged in processing capacity with COVID and other things that have gone on with lack of, of workers and some events that have gone on that have, have put that back. Is the dairy industry experiencing any of that at all or coming out of any of that?
1: You know, I think, Lori, we have uh, certainly at the beginning of the COVID crisis. When the restaurants and food service uh, customers really went away, right, uh, those dairy processing plants that served those channels had to retool and, and rethink how they were going to make milk disappear on a daily basis. And, and you know, there was some excess demand in the retail world that helped there, but it took a lot of work and a lot of flexibility by a lot of people uh, to keep the you know, the dairy supply chain up and running, which it did pr- predominantly throughout the last 15, sixteen months. So we should be proud of how well our industry has performed in very, very trying times. Labor issues you mentioned, uh, those continue to be a real challenge uh, at the farm level, I know for sure, but also in the factories and in the plants. Um, And we're working with our counterparts in food and agriculture to try to get immigration reform done in this Congress so that we can have uh, an ag guest worker program that works for our industry. Uh, Up until this point, it's been a seasonally directed program. As we all know, dairy is 365 days a year, seven days a week. So we can't, we're not seasonal, but we need migrant workers to help us on our farms and in our plants as well. So... Um, that's something that we're working very hard to try to achieve, but it's not easy. That's a, that's a very politically difficult issue, as, as probably most of your listeners know.
0: And Dave, you already kind of mentioned and went into the next topics. so I'll have you add in anything else we missed. But just talking in general about the dairy industry impact here in the United States, what else would you like to say about that?
1: Well, I just think that, um, uh, you know, we have a, a real strong story to tell. And, um, and we should be very proud of the role that we play in our communities in terms of providing jobs to a lot of our, 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 our local citizens. Uh, we should be proud of the nutritious and healthy product that we put on people's tables and in schools uh, and in restaurants around the country every single day. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of health benefits that are becoming known now a little bit more uh, every year about the benefits of dairy consumption. And part of what we do here in Washington is try to make sure that the policymakers understand those benefits and the positives that dairy can play in a healthy diet. And that's, you know, as we talked about earlier, child nutrition reauthorization is one area where we can hopefully achieve some of those goals. But there are definitely other areas as well. And and we're working uh, every day back here to try to, again, make the uh, policymakers understand that uh, the dairy industry in this country is important. Uh, it's economically vibrant and growing. I mean, the other thing that sometimes people talk about is fluid milk consumption going down. That is, that is true. But the rest of the industry is growing more than enough to compensate for that. And so overall, the dairy industry in this country is, is growing. And we should. We're, it's nice to be part of a growing industry. It's nice to be working in a you know an industry that makes a difference, a positive difference in people's lives. And and everybody in our office uh, comes to work every day with that attitude. So we're doing our part. We work closely with our counterparts, uh, National Milk, who represent sort of the dairy farmer uh, side of the uh, equation on many of these issues. A lot of the child nutrition issues we talked about earlier. We are uh, on the Hill working with members of Congress with our friends at National Milk So I just want to let everybody know that the industry, I think, is aligned on a lot of issues and working closely together to try to uh, achieve some goals that I think we can all be supportive of and proud of.
0: For more information on the International Dairy Foods Association, their website is idfa.org. I want to thank my guest, David Carlin, Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs and Economic Policy with International Dairy Foods Association, my guest today. For the Ag Queen Podcast, I'm Lori Boyer.